Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. I'm going to be sharing with you today. I'm going to continue the series that we began uh, several weeks ago called Foundation. And in this series, we're talking about those things which are foundational truths of Christianity, of biblical Christianity, things that you might call essentials, things that you might call orthodox, those things which are, you know, at the base, the foundational things of what we believe. And so we're going to be looking into one of our foundations as a church today. And these are things that are shared across denominational lines and through 2,000 plus years of the church, things that we have wrestled with and come to conclusions about based upon what the scriptures say. So today's message is just a real simple um, titled for today. It's Jesus came to rescue and restore people. So look at this picture for a moment. And as you look at this picture, I want to tell you something. And here's what I want to tell you. You are a theologian. Did you know that? Let me say it again. You are a theologian. You are. You're a theologian. Every person in here is a theologian. A theologian is someone who studies God and has ideas about God. And small children are theologians. All of us are theologians. If you're here today and you're an atheist or an agnostic, you're still a theologian. You have ideas about the existence and the reality of God. And that's theology, the study, the knowledge to know about God. His existence, his reality, his attributes, his character, what he's like, that's theology. Now, we are either good theologians or bad theologians, right? All theologians are only partial theologians, and all theologians have some wrong ideas, but some are really bad and some are really good, right? Some theologians know their stuff and others don't have a clue what they're talking about. And all of us have sources that we draw from that form our theology. We have sources that dictate to us or that influence the way we think about God and His world, about ourselves. We live in a time where there is a, there there is so much information that Each of us is being shaped on a daily basis by what we read on social media, see on the television, listen to in music, on podcasts, whatever it is that we are taking in from, that is forming and shaping our thinking about many, many things. Now, when we think of a theologian, we think of somebody that looks like this, but the reality is every one of you in this room are theologians, and what I want to challenge you with today is you're either becoming a better theologian or you you are becoming a worse theologian. You're a bad theologian. And that's why it's so important that every one of us in this room know why we believe what we believe. First of all, that we know what we believe and then why we believe what we believe. That's really important because the influences that are around us and that are shaping us can shape us toward evil can shape us toward concepts that twist and distort what God is like and what we are like. Right? I've heard some people that say, I don't like doctrine. I don't like theology. I just want to move with the Spirit. 
And my challenge to them is that that right there is a doctrine. What you just said is a doctrine. The word doctrine simply means teaching. All of us have things that we believe and things that are convictions that we hold on to that are based in some form of reality and some form of truth. A lot of times, those who say they don't like to talk about doctrine or theology spout bad doctrine and theology all the time. So we're doing this series because we really want to look at what we believe about God, about humanity, about how to live, and about salvation, what it means to be rescued, what it means to be close to God, reconciled with God, atoned for. We want to see what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because what you believe to be true about God and about yourself will determine how you live and the, decision, and the decisions you make. Okay, so this is something that is like core to what it means to be human. What you believe about God. A.W. Tozer said this 60 or 70 years ago. Many theologians throughout history have said this. The basic idea is that whatever it is that you believe to be true about God will fashion and form and shape your response to how you live. So how you approach the world out there in your workplace, in your relationships, as you look upon yourself and other people, the way that you look upon even those that are outside of the church, those that are inside the church, all the relationships you interact with, all of it will be affected by your view of God. If you believe God cares about his world that he made and God loves humanity and that God is in the process of rescuing and restoring human beings and planet earth and he's in pursuit of us, he's chasing us, he is after us, he loves us. If you believe that to be true about God, then it's going to shape the way you approach people. And if you believe that God's just really angry all the time and and God is just a God of wrath, and I'm, I'm not saying there isn't wrath. Wrath is a very real attribute of God. But even His wrath is filled with His love and His mercy and His grace, baptized in and immersed in those other qualities of His nature, His holiness. But we have to understand that our view of God affects everything. And so what I want to look at today, and we're only going to get partially through this, so it's going to probably take me about three weeks to get through this one belief because it's so full and there's so much here. But this is Grace Harvest Church belief number five. And I, what I want to say about this belief is it's very similar to what you'll read in many churches because we all kind of believe similar things when it comes to the essence and the essentials and the roots and the foundational things. But Grace Harvest Church belief number five is Jesus came to rescue and restore people and here. Here it is. Let's go ahead and put it up. It says, we believe that all people are born with a sin nature. We believe that through faith in Christ as Savior and Lord, on account of his shed blood, death, and resurrection, people are justified before God and forgiven of their sins. Now, we're not even going to get through that part, but here's what the rest of it goes on to say. 
We believe by confession of Christ and repentance from sin, people become new creations in Christ Jesus and are born again by the work, power, and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just say something. I realize that this belief is full of theological terminology. There's probably some terms in here that you might not understand or might not know what they are, and that's what I'm going to do in the weeks ahead. We're going to define the terms, and we're going to draw out the meaning of those terms in order for us to understand what we believe and why we believe what we believe. Amen? How many of you are ready to go there? Good. Okay. So I'm going to take this particular belief and I'm going to break it down. And we're going to break it down, I guess you could say phrase by phrase. And I might, might only get through maybe two or three of them today. I only got through two in the first service. So Lord, have mercy on us, huh? So number one here is we believe that all people are born with a sin nature. We believe that all people are born with a sin nature, and in a moment I'm going to tell you why that's so important. So I'm going to read a couple of Scripture texts, and then we're going to, we're going to dig into it a bit. What does that mean, and what does that not mean? Okay, Psalm 51.5 says this. The psalmist writing, he says, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. That's a troubling text of Scripture, isn't it? And again, let, let, let me back something up here I think is really important for you to recognize about us is we are, we're basing our beliefs upon the idea that the Scripture has authority. So you might be sitting here, if you don't believe the Scripture has authority, it really doesn't matter what, what the Bible says. You can pick and choose what you like and don't like and you can throw it out. But if you believe Scripture has authority, you have to take texts like this and wrestle with them. What does that mean? Because I don't know about you, but that's troubling to me. I mean, I, we got a number of people in our church right now that have beautiful new babies. The idea that one of those beautiful new babies is uh, guilty when they're born and sinful when their mother conceived them, I'm like, what the heck? So we're going to dig into that. We're going to talk about what that means. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin... In this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. Okay, so if you put those two texts together, you begin to get some clarity to what this means. So let's talk about what this means or does not mean. The first thing I want to point out here, if you're a note taker, is being born in sin or having sin nature or original sin, as Augustine and other theologians have called it, does not mean that people are only bad. Did you hear that? It does not mean that people are only bad. Right? We still bear the image of God. It's just distorted. We still create beauty. And we can do many good and wonderful things. However, even the beauty and the good and the wonder we create are tainted with the effects of sin. Now, you might not know this about me, but um, some of you that, that know me know this is true, but I really love music, and uh, I'm kind of a frustrated musician, so it kind of came out in my, in my kids. All my kids play instruments, write music, sing, are involved in worship or other things, and, but um, I love music, and I love to listen, and I, I love to, to think on it, and it moves me, and, and I know that that's not true of everybody. I, I have a friend who's a pastor, and and, and it's just weird to me, and you might be one of these people, but music doesn't do anything for him. And I'm always like, are you alive? 
do you exist? Right? Um, but, but music really moves me. Like it can move me to joy. It can move me. It can give me energy. It can make me laugh. It can make me cry. I can hear certain songs and be like, man, the sun got in my eyes. Wow, the it's dusty out here today. I mean, music really does something inside of me. It touches something deep inside of me. But not just Christian music. And I think this is really important. Not just worship music. Yeah, I was raised, uh, you know, I should say, I came up in my early faith, uh, in, in my formational years, believing and being taught that secular music was bad and Christian music was good and secular music needed to be avoided and Christian music was the only thing we should listen to. And over time, I have changed my views on some of that. Uh, I know, whoa. Whoa. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be discerning, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't at times be very, um, you know, we have to be aware of what we're listening to because things form and shape us. But I began to recognize many years ago that people that didn't even know God or believe in God created amazing art and could do things with an instrument and they were bearing without even realizing, without ever giving credit to God, they were bearing testimony to the fact that they were the image bearers of God. I mean, I love guitarists. I love to listen to great guitarists. I'm a huge blues guitar fan. I'm a huge rock guitar fan. I even really like some heavy metal guitarists. <gasps> right? I mean, but it's true. And I, I listen to somebody like Stevie Ray Vaughan or Eddie Van Halen play guitar and, and others, and, and they just, wow, I get goosebumps, and I'm like, what? And that is so amazing. And be, I began to recognize something years ago that even though they don't know Christ, maybe, maybe some of them do, they still bear the marks of God, and they are able to create beauty and make things that are wonderful things that can move human beings and change us. And, but it still has a taint. And even when we create things, it has a certain taint to it. Our motives are mixed up. And every, it's not always perfect or pure. And what I want to say to you is, as you'll see as I continue to share this, that's okay. Because that's why we need grace. To flood everything we do and to make it beautiful, to change it. Secondly, being born in sin does not mean that people have no value to God. When you hear some people talk about sin nature and original sin and being born in sin, they make it sound like God's just like, people are gross, yuck, I hate them. They need to be judged and destroyed. They're nasty. And you almost get that idea like God just sees human beings because of their Sin nature, like they don't have any value to God. And the only value is just the fact that Christ died for them. Other than that, they have no intrinsic value as human beings to God, and they're only worthy of being snuffed out. But actually, when I look through Scripture, I don't see that. The fact that we cannot merit or earn God's love or salvation does not mean that we don't have value or that God only sees evil or corruption when he looks upon us. God looks upon us with love, that we are fallen and in need of his saving grace. I, I would venture to say that God enjoys it when a good heavy metal guitarist plays a great solo. 
Some of you are like, he's gone off. He's gone. He's, I don't know if he, that guy's saved. I can assure you, I am. I know Jesus. He's my salvation. Him alone. But I believe God delights in his creation, even his fallen creation, even his broken creation. And it's not just us that's tainted. It's all of the planet. It's every animal. It's everything that has become subjected to corruption and decay. All of creation is fallen, and yet God loves it. He loves it. In fact, the big story of God is not just I'm going to save people and get them out of here and take them to heaven to be with me forever while this whole planet just gets burned up and destroyed. Whoever preaches that is preaching heresy. The story of God is I have come to redeem it all. I'm going to restore it all. Yes, I'm going to use the fires of purification, but I'm going to create a new heavens, a new earth. The two are going to come together and kiss and get married. Heaven and earth are going to merge, and God is going to restore all of creation. That's the big story. When it's all said and done, heaven and earth are going to become one. That's the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is not heaven and hell. I'm sorry to disappoint some of you. The story of the Bible is heaven and earth. Hell's an invading. Death is an invading thing. Sin. These these things are not part of what God wanted to bring it all together and wrap it all up with. When it's all said and done, it's all going to be filled, every molecule, with the presence and the beauty and the glory of God, and everything's going to be made new. That's where we're going. Heck yeah, it's good. Who said it's good? <laughs> Understatement much? Yes, it's good. It's great. Thank you for saying good, by the way. That's not, a, not, not rebuking you there. Thirdly, being born in sin. Well, let me just say this about the last point. Being born in sin does not mean that people have no value to God. But when God looks upon us with love, even though we're fallen and in need of His saving grace, that's the underlying motivation. It's that love. He saves us. We can't do anything to earn it, to merit it, yet he loves and he values us and he's after us. Amen? Now, being born in sin does mean that even though we bear God's image, sin has twisted and marred it, marred us. We are not what God originally intended humans to be. Wait, what? Sin has twisted us. Every part of us has been affected by the fall. We know that's true because we die. We get diseases. Things happen to us. You know, getting old is not for cowards. I'm going to tell you something. Just like every day I'm being reminded, this is not easy. This body won't do what it used to do. I've joked that, you know, I, 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 I've always loved sports growing up. And, you know, in my mind's eye, I still see myself soaring through the air and doing that finger roll. And then I try to jump and nothing happens. It's like, this white man can't jump. Right? Something happened along the way. And now when I land, it hurts. I jump and I hit the ground and I feel it in my knees and my ankles and my hips and my back and my neck. And it's like, wow, Lord, help me. Right? We, we know that's the reality. We're affected. We're affected deep within. You know, some people say, well, I was born a certain way. But here's the reality. Yes, you were born a certain way. And yes, God is redeeming and restoring. But the truth is, is his original intention and design 
was not that we be twisted and distorted. And the world is not what it was originally intended to be. And we have to remember that because human beings want to create without God. Here's the key. We all pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today we're singing, let heaven come, let heaven come. And that's really the heartbeat of God. It, listen, the gospel's not rooted in the idea that if you believe in Jesus Christ and you're forgiven of your sins, when you, go to, when you die, you'll go to heaven. A lot of people preach that that's the gospel. That is not the gospel. Go find that for me in the preaching of the apostles in the book of Acts or in the New Testament. That is very rarely talked about, the idea that the whole purpose of getting people saved is so they can escape hell and go to heaven. It's just not there. What you do find is that is, yes, a byproduct, but it's not central to the message. What's central to the message is that God God by his spirit would come and invade us and that our influence over others would invade them. And before you know it, God's presence and rule would begin to work in the earth and change people. And in the end, when it's all said and done, that heaven would come to earth. Go read the last couple chapters of the Revelation. What is the story? This new Jerusalem, this heavenly Jerusalem, this 1,500 mile cubed city comes to earth. We're going to be spending eternity on this planet. You ever think about that? Yeah, we'll probably be able to go on some expeditions to planets. But I mean, you know, I mean, God's going to probably give it all to us and we'll get to discover it. But the reality is, is the earth is going to be renewed and restored. We were made of earth and earth is going to be redeemed and we're going to be redeemed with it and God's going to restore it all. Yes, when you die, you go to heaven. Your spirit goes to heaven to be with God. But in the resurrection and the new creation, when God restores everything, heaven and earth are going to merge and kiss and it's all going to be made one again. And that, that messes people's theology up because a lot of us haven't heard that growing up. The gospel's purpose is to transform human beings to be how God originally intended them to be, and it will ultimately even work in the human body. We're going to receive a new body. You ever read that in the Bible? That's central to the idea of the second coming, the resurrection of the dead, a new body that is like the body of Jesus that never corrupts, gets sick, sick grow, grows old. I'm having a hard time talking, but you get my point. I didn't talk about any of this in the first service. What's going on here? So, but, that's not how things are right now. Every part of us has been affected by the fall. The original creation of man and woman were perfect and innocent. The current creation has fallen and very different than God's original intention. And the ultimate fruit of that is death and disease and war and famine and sorrow. I mean, it's funny to me sometimes, like we're holding on so tight, like we're trying with everything in us to survive. We want to live forever down here. We're trying to figure out how to reverse aging, and we're trying to figure out how to, you know, we'll go out and get all kinds of work done on our bodies and everything because we think it's this, and it's not this. This has fallen. It's broken. It's not going to endure, but God is going to redeem it, and it's holy to him. It's to be used for his purpose and his plan. But we know you can't create utopia. You can't create heaven on earth without God. And that's what God's doing. He's going to invade this planet. And every molecule that's fallen is going to be redeemed. <sighs> okay. Being born in sin does mean that everything we do has that taint. And even good works are flawed. 
No one is perfect or pure. Every motive is mixed. Even our good works are flawed with pride, insecurity, the need to impress or be noticed. But in Christ, God purifies tainted offerings and makes them perfect in His eyes. What does that mean? I mean, you know, if if you hung around me and and spent any time, and I'm not meaning to talk about myself, but I'm just using myself as an example here. But if if you hung around me, you would know that I'm like, in my past, at least, I've been super conscientious about doing everything just right. I'm really driven by that, you know. I just, I want to get it right. Perfectionistic much? Yes. And even motives, you know, you second-guess yourself. I'm one of those people in my life that many times I'm like second-guessing everything I'm doing. I'm getting ready to move forward in something, and in the back of my mind, this little voice is like, what's your motive for that? Why are you doing that? And listen, some of that is important. We should submit our motives to God and come before him and say, Lord, you know, is, am, am I, is this okay? But look, if he doesn't show you something clear, if he doesn't bring it to you and give you light, and, and God's conviction will always be specific, and it will always be full of love and grace. He'll say, hey, yeah, that in you is not right. Just Get that right and let's, let's move on. But I have struggled in my life at times with just like wanting everything to be perfect and pure and my motives perfect and pure, making sure I don't do it wrong, don't make the mistake anybody else relate. Okay, a few of you, the rest of you are like, that dude's crazy. Okay. And, and not long ago, I had a, I had a revelation, dude. It was gnarly. And here was my revelation. My revelation was my motives will never be perfect and pure and without any taint. There'll always be a mixture in me. And that's what God's working with. And that's what He's working with in all of us. So we move forward as we are and trust Him to fix us on the way. Right? And, and do we trust him? We're sons and daughters. Do we trust that he'll correct his sons and daughters? Do we trust that he'll make us right? Do we trust that? Now, listen, I'm not talking about being blatantly like, you know, putting yourself forward full of pride and putting other people down to get to the top. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking like you're moving forward. You're doing the best you know how to do. You're confessing your sins. You're being accountable. You're walking with God. You're doing the best you know how to do, but you're still making mistakes and blowing it and failing. Let me just tell you what. Welcome to humanity. Welcome to walking with Christ. Listen, this idea that somehow you're going to clean it all up and get all perfect and pure and beautiful and holy and have your act together before God will ever use you is a lie and a myth, and it will keep you in bondage, and you'll never venture anything for God. You'll never risk anything for God because you're afraid of failure. And let me tell you what, your failures have already been provided for. Grace is already there. God's already gone ahead of you. Every stumble on your face, every fall, every sin, every time you make a bad decision, God's already already worked all of that into the entire plan, and he's just like, whoop, whoop, dropping grace and mercy to you as you fall on his grace and mercy and look to him. But this idea that somehow holiness is that you have to be perfect and pure and have it all together or God won't work with you is a lie and bondage and legalism, and you'll never be anything in God if you get bound up in that. Not only that, you'll be really judgmental of not only yourself, but others. And you'll be a bummer to be around. Oh, my gosh. 
People like that have no joy in their life. They're a bummer. Okay, here we go. So being born in sin does mean that though we are valued by God, we can never earn or merit His love, grace, or salvation. We can't do anything to add to Christ's work or God's love. We cannot perform or do enough good works to earn or merit His grace. All of salvation and all of God's love is Christ's work and God's mercy. All of it. All of it. And listen, I'm going to preach the gospel to Christians right now. Not just people who need to get saved. Not just people who need grace today. We think grace is about salvation. And then after you get salvation, after you're going to heaven when you die, after you get the ticket, the golden ticket to heaven, by saying, Jesus, come into my heart and my life, forgive my sin and do all of that. After we've jumped through those hoops and we've got in, then we think, now it's kind of up to us. We would never say that, but we live as though it's true. We trust, we think grace is for the beginning of the race, and we think the rest of the time it's works. But the scripture indicates that every step and every day is grace. And I have to preach the gospel to myself all the time. It's not what you do. It's not up to you. It's not that you walk all straight and perfect all the time. It's what God did. It's what Christ did. It's the cross. It's his blood. It's his mercy. It's his love. It's the fact that he pursued me. It's the fact that he's holding on to me, not that I'm holding on to him. Listen, if this thing's up to me, it's over, baby. If it's up to you, it's over. But if it's up to him, we win. And it's up to him. Now, some here will say, are you saying that we can just do anything and God doesn't care? That's where people always go when you preach radical grace, when you preach the gospel, when you preach the Bible. People are always afraid you're going to go too far. And I, am, I, I would say we often don't go far enough. Because I think our tendency more often is to go toward our own good works, our own righteousness. You see, if I can show you how good I am and how holy I am and how I'm better than you spiritually, then that's merit. That's something for me to be praised about. That's why Paul said, so that no man can boast. See, if we can boast about any of this walk with God, if we can put it out there that we got it together and that we know the keys and the secrets of walking and living holy. His and the key to, and the secret to walking and living holy is Jesus Christ alone and his work when he hung on the cross and said, it is finished. He was telling us that I've done it all. Amen? Amen. Ooh. Number two. We believe that through faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. Now, there's a lot that follows that, but I want to talk about for the next few minutes, faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. Look at Romans 10, 9, and 10. You'll be familiar with this text right away. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I'm reading from this Christian Standard Bible, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Wait, 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 what? Let's go back to that. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness. That's really key right there. What does it mean to believe with the heart? And one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Let's talk about faith, belief. And let's talk about Jesus as Lord and Savior. First of all, faith in Christ as Savior and Lord is trust in Him alone to rescue us from sin and death. Believing and receiving Christ is the only thing that makes us children of God. Did you hear what I just said? Believing and receiving Jesus Christ is the only thing that makes us children of God. And even our believing is a gift. Faith is a gift. It's given by God. Did you know that? The New Testament teaches that both repentance, which means to change your mind, turn away from sin, turn to God and His saving grace and, and His provision, to turn from sin and believe differently about how I am rescued and to believe that Christ is the one, that is a gift. And the ability to believe, that's a gift. So you, you go along and you start to realize, I didn't really do much here. I mean, I believed. And people say, well, I chose Christ. Yes, you chose Christ. He chose you first. Before the foundation of the world, before you were created, he chose you. Whoa, what? I mean, the scripture's clear on that. And he was pursuing you and chasing you and and he moved on you by his spirit and he drew you and wooed you to himself. So it's all him. And believing in him is the only thing that saves us. Why is this important? Well, if you walk with the Lord for any period of time, you might be like me. You might slip into old habits. Do you know what I mean? Works righteousness. We don't call it that, but you know how it is. Okay, let's say you blew it last night. You're here on Sunday. By the way, I commend you for being here on Sunday. Let's say last night you blew it. You did something you shouldn't have done. Or maybe you got in a fight with your spouse on the way to church this morning. Or maybe you drank too much. Or maybe you did something that you're ashamed of and you're angry. Or you looked at something you shouldn't have looked at. The gospel doesn't say, oh, it's okay, I understand. That's not the gospel. The gospel said that stuff's called sin and that's what crucified Jesus. And it's exceedingly wicked. That's what the Bible says about sin. It's exceedingly wicked. Why is it wicked? Because it destroys, destroys God's good, beautiful world. But what does the Scripture teach about it? It teaches that the only thing that can atone for it, the only thing that can redeem it, is Jesus and His blood. But what do we do? I'll tell you my own history. I blow it. I fall. I fail. And without... I would never say I believed this, but in my own life many times, it's almost like I feel like I need to feel bad for a couple of days. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? I need to just, if, if I really feel bad about this, I just need to be, beat myself up. Gosh, I'm terrible. I am a terrible human being, and I'm not worthy to pray. I'm not worthy to go to church. I've heard people say this. I'm not worthy to go to church. I haven't been holy. Not worthy to worship. Like, what? What? I'm not worthy of it. Well, wait a minute. What, what, so let me, let, me, let me understand this. Let me understand this. So you're paying for your own sin? Is that what you're doing? Are you going through these motions to pay for your own sin? 
So that's what you're doing. If, if you feel bad long enough, if you beat yourself up long enough, I mean, would you like a whip? Let me give you a whip and you can self-flagellate. You can beat your, your own back and pay with your own blood. Is that what we do? What did Adam and Eve do? They sinned. They're naked. They run. They hide among the trees of the garden. There's so much there. They take fig leaves from the trees. They sew them together and they make themselves coverings. And then God says, where are you? You notice when they sinned, God didn't go, you've sinned. You're not welcome in my presence anymore. Oh, it doesn't say, and God turned his back on them. It says he came looking for them in the garden, pursuing them. And then what's it say he did? He covered them in skins. And we see the first sacrifice of the Bible. They got to see what death and substitution look like. It doesn't say it in the text, but we can read between the lines. We know that Cain and Abel saw a pattern of sacrifice because they brought sacrifices. But what does the Scripture indicate? It says, God clothed them, and other translations say, in animal skins. How did that happen? God said, come here, son. Come here, daughter. Those fig leaves won't do. That's your religion. That's your own covering. That's what human beings do. They try to make themselves good enough to approach me now but it doesn't work. You've been hiding and covering yourself. That's unacceptable to me. Let me show you what it takes to cover your sin. And God killed an animal right in front of them. And as the blood of that animal came out into the ground and soaked into the ground, they got to see the wages of sin is death. But then God took the coverings and he clothed them. And he says, now you're covered. You can imagine that animal blood was probably, some of it was probably on them. And they got to see sin is bloody and it equals death. And God foreshadowed a day when a lamb would hang on a cross. A tree, Peter calls it. And pour out his blood so that human beings could be redeemed. That's good news. Quit running, quit hiding, quit covering Faith in Jesus Christ. Wow. Okay, coming in for a landing. Faith in Christ as Savior means that we don't trust our own goodness to make us right with God. I've already said this in multiple ways, but nothing you do makes you acceptable or good enough for God. And listen, if you were raised in the church, you're probably most in jeopardy. Because I've found the hardest people to convince they're sinners are Christians that have grown up in the church. The hardest people to get get rid of your religious ways of paying for your own sin and the people who think they're good are often the ones that are in the greatest jeopardy because of self-righteousness. 
So put off your self-works. Quit looking down your nose at the meth addict and the whore and the other people that you don't like and the liberal or the too conservative or the right wing or whatever group of people you don't like because they're not like you. Quit looking down your nose at them because you think you're righteous because you grew up in the church and you know who the good people are and you're one of the good people and they're the bad people and begin to recognize that they're just like you. They are in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus doesn't save you, you're in trouble. It's not your own righteousness. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. Oh, that went over like a lead balloon. And here's the last one. Faith in Christ as Lord means that we recognize his authority and claims upon us and follow him as Lord. Woo! When we say that Jesus is Lord of our lives, we mean that he has all claim to us as master of our lives. He's not a tyrant master, but he still owns us. A lot of you are like, what? Wait. Any free will we now have as his children and as his followers is to be yielded to his will day by day and moment by moment. For the rest of our lives, we'll be learning to submit our lives to his claim upon us when he died and poured out his blood to overcome our sin. Now listen to this. We're Americans. At least a vast majority of us in the room, right? And we've learned our whole life that it's about our rights and about our fierce individualism. And as an American citizen, rights are very important. And we know from our own, right, our own documents that rights... And, and all they were doing was saying these things are self-evident. That all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. So what were they saying? They were looking at what was self-evident. And what is self-evident? Rights don't come from governments or your neighbor. Rights come from God. So we've grown up our whole life with this esteem of rights. But we have to be very careful that we don't take our American understanding of government and bring it over into our walk with Jesus Christ and we begin to claim rights. When what the gospel teaches is when you come to Christ, he's master. The word Lord means master. And all your American rights and all your claims to right, autonomy and sovereignty, there's nothing sovereign. By the way, there's nothing and no one in the universe sovereign other than God. Not even nation states are sovereign. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The people and everything contained in it belong to Him. Psalm 24, 1 and 2. So it's all God's. So what happens when you become a Christian? You take all of that. And that is ultimately submitted to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the King of all kingdoms, the King of all nations, the King of all congresses and presidencies and supreme courts. It all bows to Him. And we recognize that you weren't purchased with gold or silver or any other precious thing, but with the precious blood of Jesus. So we belong to someone. He's put... His ring on our finger. We're his bride and his body. Go figure that one out. He's the head and we're the members. He's the husband and we're the bride. Yeah, all you dudes, you're part of the bride. That's who we are. 
and He owns us, and we belong to Him. Amen? Amen. You can go look it up yourself. You know, I, I know I, man, I hit some buttons today. Some of you are like, I don't know about that. Go look it up. Yeah, you know, my challenge to you many times, if you struggle with something I say, challenge me with Scripture. Look it up in the Bible. Let's talk about it. Amen? But here's the bottom line. Faith in Jesus Christ alone, His claims upon you are what save you. And there's nothing you can add to that And that faith is that you trust him moment by moment, day by day, and let him possess every part of your life. That's what we believe. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what 21 centuries of martyrs and believers have done. They submit to the master, and the master has his way.